In Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others. He's, of course, talking about hypocrisy. And we're three weeks into this section on hypocrisy in the Sermon on the Mount. Of course, hypocrisy is just a deception. It's where we pretend to be something that we're not. Uh, My friend John Bunyan in his classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, which you may be familiar with, he, uh, at one point in the story, he alludes to a character whose name is Mr. Facing Both Ways. That was his name. So, Mr. Facing Both Ways. Now, listen, I've been trying to this all week, and it's hard to face both ways at the same time, okay? You can just imagine me in my office just going in circles, right? And that's basically every week. But anyway... (laughs) Mr. Facing Both Ways. It's a creative way to, I think, bring out the point. It's impossible to face both ways at the same time. But so often we try to do that. I trust Jesus. I trust myself. I worship God. I value God. I worship myself. I value myself. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for myself. Mr. Facing both ways can't do it. One of them is a lie. One of them is a betrayal. This is the heart of hypocrisy. And in this section on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is so concerned with hypocrisy that he has not only given us the general principle, be careful, beware of practicing your righteousness before others, but now he's picked out a few key examples. And he said, be careful about, well, giving Right, Giving money to the church or to those in need for show, because that is hypocrisy. Or be careful how you pray. Don't pray for show, because that is hypocrisy, facing both ways. And here, again, because the issue is so central, he comes across another common example of righteous living from the first century. And the cultural situation then and today is very different, so we'll talk about that as we get into the details But this morning, he comes to the issue of fasting. It's one more example to just say this. Kingdom citizens don't face both ways. Kingdom citizens don't pretend to be something that they're not. Yes, kingdom citizens pursue righteousness, as we'll see. He'll develop that more throughout the Sermon on the Mount. But we pursue righteousness for his sake, not for show. Now, in our culture... Religious fasting is not necessarily popular. It it is a thing. It's out there. But it's not really normal in the sense that there's cultural pressure for you to act this way or to be uh, acknowledging a fast would be to automatically be seen as a religious or spiritually mature person. Nonetheless, it still may be an act by which we project a faith that we don't have. You could be fasting And fasting for the wrong reasons, right? As Jesus warns us about fasting, we find a general reinforcement of the overall problem of hypocrisy. And as we get into this text this morning, we just have to understand that we cannot face both ways at the same time. We've got to decide. So let's unpack the specifics here on fasting, and then we'll we'll make some application to our own lives. We're picking this up in verse 16. Again, this is the third example of being careful not to practice your righteousness before others. And there Jesus talks about fasting. He says in verse 16, Whenever you fast, 
Don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. If you just pause there in the middle of verse 16, there's actually a play on words here. The, the verb for disfiguring their faces and the verb for being obvious to people, they rhyme in Greek. And so the idea here is that they're making themselves ugly to be seen by everyone, right? Like that's the idea. It's a little bit ridiculous. Some of us are ugly just by nature. So be it, right? And it is what it is. And we're born with it and, and we go, right? We just live. But here Jesus is talking about a particular situation where uh, those who are seen to be religious, mostly in this case the Pharisees, would actually broadcast a fast. Now, Old Testament law and, and Jewish practice by the first century, there were two annual fasts, the Day of Atonement and New Year's, Rosh Hashanah. So those are the two days when there would have been an intentional kind of culture-wide fasting moment. The Pharisees said, that's not enough. We're going to fast twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And so that was the practice in the first century. So every Monday and Thursday, you had the most, at least outwardly religious people in the community that were fasting. But they didn't just fast. They had to make a big deal about that they were fasting. So they didn't do their hair that morning, right? And they, they were a little sloppier and they had a grumpy look on their face. Why? So that as they're going to the market or they're going down the street to work or whatever they're doing, someone would see them and ask the question, hey, What's wrong? Why are you so disheveled? Why are you so grumpy? And then they could answer, oh, I'm fasting. I don't normally look this bad, <laughs> right? But I am fasting, right? And so they just want, and they have to say it in that kind of, that's the most spiritual voice I have. But anyway, it's like they try, they got to communicate to the public to make it obvious to everyone that, oh, I'm fasting, Right? It is humorous. It's humorous, but it's also tragic because of the end of verse 16. Just like with giving for show and praying for show, here with fasting for show, Jesus says, truly I tell you, they have their reward. What they want is to be recognized by other people as being super spiritual. Jesus says, you got it. But that is all the reward they're receiving you see, fasting for show only yields earthly rewards. Fasting for show, fasting for appearances, fasting so other people think you're religious, that only yields earthly rewards. That's the warning here by Jesus. Just because someone is fasting and making it obvious to everyone that they're fasting doesn't mean they are righteous. They are a kingdom citizen. It doesn't mean that they are spiritually mature. And in fact, if, if what they want is earthly recognition, that's all they'll get. If we think about this issue today, again, as we were just saying earlier, that you know, it's not like we have cultural pressure to go on religious fasts often. But today, if we do choose to fast, we still could be tempted to let people know that we're fasting. So, you know, we might be talking and others in conversation, and we might just casually bring it up, Right? Oh, by the way, oh, I can't go out with you to lunch today because I'm fasting, right? And kind of make a big deal about it. Of course, in our culture, very often our temptation will be to announce things publicly through technology, through social media. So, you know, you take that selfie of you that morning with you all, you know, kind of grumpy looking. You post it and say, uh, if I seem off today, it's because I'm fasting, hashtag blessings, you know, and like post that one, right? 
And so just letting everybody know, I'm, I'm fasting, right? And we laugh because it's so true, don't we? It's there. Now, listen, it may not, fasting may not be our issue. And once again here, Jesus says, if you're fasting for show, that's all you're going to get is that earthly recognition. But I think there's more here in thinking about the general principle of practicing our righteousness to be seen by others. And what John Piper said, that the danger of hypocrisy, as illustrated here, the danger of hypocrisy is that it's so successful. If you want to be seen as super spiritual, you can do that. You can go through all the outward motions and you can act like and you can face both ways, right? You can act and pretend like you are super spiritual. And the danger of that is that it's successful. People will think that you're spiritual. They will think, wow, they're a really great Christian. They're really religious. But Jesus here warns us with giving, with prayer, then today with fasting. He says, if that's all you're after is that earthly reward, that's, you'll, you'll get it. Temporary popularity, which you'll lose, which will go away. Uh, basically, you'll get respect that's based on a lie. If that's what you want, that's what you'll get. You'll build a reputation that's based on a mirage rather than on what's actually true. There's a warning here. Now, again, it may not be fasting for you. you it may be doing daily devotions. And you're tempted to talk about and to broadcast, oh, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm reading the Bible every day. Or maybe attendance at a Bible study, and you're tempted to just bring it up so that people know that you've been attending Bible study, right? Or maybe acts of service. You really need everybody to know that you participated in this or that act of service, whatever it might be. But when we do that, Jesus just says, it's not that those things are wrong. Those are good things to do, but just be careful. Be careful about practicing your righteousness before others. Our eternal reward is worth so much more than the temporary approval of our community, than being known as a religious person by our peers. The eternal reward is better. And so Jesus says, you need to give some thought to why you do what you do. Again, because if all you're after is recognition, that's all you'll get. So we need to ask, what is driving my behavior? If it's a fast, absolutely. Again, with prayer, with giving, with some of these other examples, we need to ask, why am I doing this? Would I be doing this if no one else would ever see or ever know? Often, often we talk about that in terms of integrity, right? And integrity means we're doing what God has called us to do regardless of the consequences or who sees us, right? And so we ask the question, am I praying just for the sake of, of, of pursuing God's glory, for his glory alone? Am I giving for those ends? And if I choose to fast, am I fasting for those ends? Am I going to Bible study for that end? Am I reading God's word for that end? Am I... Am I participating in sacrificial acts of service to that end? Or is it really just all about me? Again, fasting for show only gets you earthly rewards, and that's not enough. It's not enough to satisfy us. The problem isn't with fasting or giving or praying or whatever. The problem is the heart behind it. And so Jesus, in verse 17, he turns the corner there. He says, okay, don't fast for show. But he's not saying don't fast. Watch verse 17 as he kind of gives us the other side of the coin here. He says, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Now let's just explain that imagery in verse 17. In, in more modern, you know, uh, language, Jesus says, when you fast, take a shower, right? Get dressed, you, you know, properly. 
Like, don't broadcast, don't wear your shirt that says, I'm fasting that day, right? I mean, you basically, you want to conduct yourself as if things are going on normally. You're not broadcasting to the world that you're fasting. So notice that Jesus assumes that Christians will from time to time fast. When you fast, he says, wash your hair. Clean, shave, do, you know, do, do, do what you need to do. Pretty yourself up and go out like you normally would, right? Don't broadcast it. Why? Verse 18. So that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but it is to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay? So we're not broadcasting our fast to the community, to our culture, to our society. But Jesus says, but you will be seen by our father who is in secret, Jesus says. Now, this is really interesting terminology. We've hit it a couple times now in this section in the Sermon on the Mount, where it refers to God's invisibility that we don't see God. He's enthroned over the universe. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. But in a special way, he's enthroned in heaven. So we're not seeing God every day. But he's also omniscient. He knows everything that's happening all the time, everywhere. In every corner of your house, and every, in every corner of your, your life, God knows what's going on. And so if you're concerned that the right people aren't going to notice your fast, Jesus says, the right person will know. <laughs> right? Your father, who is in secret, he sees what's done in secret, and he will reward you. Of course, the argument's pretty simple. Heavenly reward, eternal reward, trumps temporary earthly reward. If we just want approval by people, Jesus says, you can do that, but, you, but you'll pay the price, ultimately. Uh, on the other hand, fast in secret. Don't tell anybody. Just do it for God's glory and God's glory alone. And your father, who's in secret and sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. There's an eternal reward that we're looking forward to. Just like with the giving and the prayer example, right? We're looking forward to that eternal payoff. When Jesus instructs us here about fasting, he pushes us to consider that we should value something more than people's approval. And it's not just eternal or heavenly reward. It's really the fact that he himself is our eternal or heavenly reward. Kingdom citizens hunger for God, not for approval. Kingdom citizens hunger for God. At this point, I think we have an opportunity to just talk a little bit more about what fasting is and why it's something that is appropriate for Christians to be involved in. Christian fasting, I would define it as abstaining from a desire, usually a physical desire, to focus on prayer and spiritual health. Now, I make a distinction here about Christian fasting because more and more in our culture, dietary fasting is very much popular at the moment. So you'll see many people, uh, you know, saying you should do fasts regularly for the sake of your health and your diet to lose weight. That's not what we're talking about here. So this is Christian fasting, which means I'm intentionally giving something up for a limited period of time in order to focus on prayer and spiritual health, right? That's what we're talking about. And in general, Jesus again acknowledges that that is a good thing. Now, there's not a huge deal made about fasting. It's not referenced in uh, the epistles of the New Testament. We do see in Acts, there are two occasions when we know the church fasted. But other than that, it's not like the central defining tenet of Christianity. All that said, Jesus does say, well, when you fast, do it in secret. Do it so that no one knows, right? 
when we fast, when we give up something, what is the point of that? Well, we're reminding ourselves that we are more than our physical desires, okay? So let's take if I fast from food, which is the most common fast, right? If I fast from food, throughout the day, I will feel hungry, right? And when I feel hungry, in a fast, in a spiritual Christian fast, I'm saying, okay, I'm not going to eat. Instead, I'm going to pray right now. And maybe I'm reminded to pray about whatever particular issues I'm facing in my life at that moment. But when I'm praying, I'm also acknowledging that what's most important in my life is spiritual health, not food. I'm just going to say that again. When we do this, we're, we're basically demonstrating and teaching ourselves and reminding ourselves that what's most important in my life is spiritual health, not food. Or caffeine, or whatever it is we might be giving up. Again, John Piper said about this, that fasting tests where the heart is. Fasting exposes what we really want or what we think will satisfy us. We talk about fasting, we have to talk about hunger and kingdom citizens hunger for God. You know, but so often we think about chasing after something, pursuing something. We don't hunger after God. We hunger after, well, obviously food, but we could get more specific, right? We hunger after sugar. We hunger after carbs. Can I get an amen for my carb lovers? We hunger after caffeine. We hunger after alcohol. It doesn't just have to be food, though. Right? We could hunger after sex. We could hunger after video games. We could hunger after Netflix. We could hunger after that endorphin rush when you get a lot of likes on social media. We hunger after money. And when we see that paycheck hit or we see that big commission come through, it kind of satisfies us for a moment. And we chase after that and we hunger for that and we long for that. Fasting says all those things may be fine and good, but they are not what's most important in my life. What matters most is my dependence on God. It's so interesting in the New Testament, you'll read this this description in several places about how we are filled as believers. But what are we filled with? We're filled with the fullness of God. We're filled with satisfaction that comes from connection by faith to Jesus. We're filled with actually the goodness of God himself. That's what we are longing for most of all. That's what we need. That's why like in the prophets of the Old Testament, like you'll read in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter two, where the prophet Jeremiah speaking for the Lord to his people says, oh, but my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters to dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't even hold water. His point there is that you're seeking satisfaction, you're hungering, you're thirsting, but you're seeking it in the wrong place. You can't face both ways at the same time. And there's there's a problem in our lives as we hunger for, thirst for, chase after everything it seems except for Jesus. We think that will satisfy me. If I could just have that meal, if I could just have that next caffeine rush, if I could just have whatever, then I'll be satisfied. So this morning, you might ask the question, am I actually hungering for God? Do I have a passion to pursue the Lord and to be satisfied by Him? Again, Christians will occasionally fast, and when we fast, we do so really, I think, in in two different uh, arenas. First, you you may actually find yourself in an unintentional fast. 
I've talked to several people who have stumbled into fasting because of a crisis in their lives where a, a beloved family member was in a severe car accident or there was a serious like, uh, you know, health diagnosis that came down, a cancer or something like that, and they did not want to eat. They didn't choose to fast. They literally lost their appetite because what was going on in their lives was so serious, right? And in those moments, when you fast, don't make a big deal about it. Just pursue the Lord in prayer. Do it. And seek satisfaction in him in that crisis moment. So that certainly is something that may happen to us at maybe a few distinct moments in our lives. In Acts 13 and 14, we see two examples of intentional fasting. This is a situation where the church was making big decisions and they said, you know what, let's take some time and let's fast together and pray. Why? To seek God's wisdom in making a decision. And that's right and good. So it doesn't mean that no one can know that you're fasting. It just means that the reason for fasting is not for show, but it's because we're pursuing the Lord. So again, it may be, it may be helpful here to think about, you know, if you're having a, a big decision coming up in your life, or you're facing a big, you know, transition or turning point, it may be helpful to you spiritually to fast and pray about that decision. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means you may say, okay, I'm going to give up food for today. Or I'm going to give up caffeine today. Or I'm going to give up X, Y, or Z today. And I'm going to give that up. And when I want it really badly, I'm going to be reminded to pray instead of seek satisfaction through that desire. I'm going to do that in order to, to satisfy myself with hunger for God rather than hunger or thirsting for something else. So the reality is Jesus gives us instruction here and clarity on fasting. He says it's good to fast. So we need to acknowledge, well, that's a good thing. We need to, to maybe bring that more into our regular habit as Christians. Now, I say that recognizing that we live in a culture that isn't super big on fasting in general. In fact, we're not big on saying no to ourselves basically ever, right? I mean, isn't that kind of like our American thing? That you just get whatever you want, whenever you want it, all the time? You know, we live in a world where uh, I, might, I might be frustrated at the speed of receiving and sending an email, which is literally bouncing off satellites in space. And I'm like, no, that's got to happen right now. We live in a world where I, I want to go through the drive-thru and get my food right now, right? We live, we live in a world of immediately gratifying our desires. And we live in a world that says your desires are what define you. They're the most important thing about you, what you want. And Christian fasting says, time out. Hold on. I don't always need to get what I want right away. And the fact is, I am more than my desires. Just because I want something doesn't mean I need it. And doesn't th- just because I want something doesn't mean that defines me. Christians, kingdom citizens, followers of Jesus, hunger for God. And fasting helps us cultivate that hunger so we live in a culture that's not really into that. And all the more reason that we need to have, I think, Christian fasting in our arsenal of faith, right? That we actually remind ourselves from time to time. Now, in addition, though, to this teaching about fasting, we also find in the Bible some warnings about fasting. And I think it's important that we're just mindful of those as well, because fasting can get sideways on us pretty quick. The first warning says this, Fasting does not merit forgiveness or earn your salvation. It doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't, by doing it, it's not like you are now more spiritual. In Colossians 2, 1 Timothy 4, and even Isaiah 58, there are warnings against basically viewing uh, fasting as a means to righteousness. So just because you participate in a fast doesn't make you more righteous. 
Of course, as Jesus has made clear in the Sermon on the Mount, it's the heart that reveals righteousness, not so much the behavior, right? So there's a warning there. Be careful that you don't think fasting merits your salvation. A second warning we find in the scriptures about fasting is that fasting may tempt you to think that denial of your desires is in and of itself the gospel. Like basically that to follow Jesus just means to say no to everything. This is where the, the monastic movement where monks in ages past, even today, uh, got it wrong. Where they thought, you know what? If I'm really going to honor God, I have to go live in the desert on a pillar by myself forever. And that's the best way I can glorify God. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not bound up in the gospel is not bound up in just saying no to everything. Uh, the technical term for that is asceticism. Severe restrictions on your life. Know this, know that, know this, know that. That's not Christianity. Christianity is not bound up in asceticism. True religion is not synonymous with religious effort. In fact, what we find in the gospel is that the opposite is true. By faith in Jesus, we rest and we receive. We're not welcomed into God's family because we've worked so hard at saying no to everything. We're welcomed into God's family because Jesus has made it possible for us. So by faith in him, we become kingdom citizens, and kingdom citizens hunger for God. A third warning about fasting in the Bible is that fasting does not make God more likely to answer your prayers. Now, this is a tough one, because there are a few historical examples in uh, ages past where uh, Christianity was viewed as the majority religion in this nation and in other nations, where leaders of the nation called the nation to fast and to pray, which in general is good. But sometimes the wording and how they called people to fast was a little problematic. So this happened in Great Britain during World War II. Uh, it happened in Great Britain actually once because of a crisis in India, when India was still a part of the British Empire. It happened in the United States during the Civil War, where President Abraham Lincoln called the nation to fast and to pray. But what was a little wonky about it was in the wording of the speech when it was announced, especially in uh, in. Uh, President Lincoln's case, the, the argument was, if we fast and pray, maybe God will answer our prayers. And I think the, the false thinking there is that by a, doing a religious, righteous activity, that somehow we can actually increase the likelihood that God will grant us what we wish. And that's certainly not a biblical idea. That's Canaanite theology. That's not Christian theology, right? It's pagan. We can manipulate God and get him to do what we want. So don't think that fasting automatically puts you at some like uh, higher level of timeshare uh, point reward system where now you're going to get more prayers answered because you've been fasting. You know, God cares for our needs. We covered this last week. He's our heavenly father. He knows what we need. So we go to him in prayer because he's our heavenly father. We don't, we don't have to jump through hoops to try to get him to respond to us. So again, it's just a warning there about fasting. It doesn't make God more likely to answer our prayers. But again, in our culture, a culture that loves excess and puts my desires first, we need to think seriously about incorporating fasting into our regular practice. We are more than our desires. And when we fast, what do we remind ourselves? Well, we remind ourselves that only God can satisfy those deep longings that we have. I got to tell you, it is counterintuitive because if you're like me, you crave burritos at Chipotle fairly often, right? And the fact is you eat that burrito 
And that burrito is a good gift from God, okay? Let's just be honest. I mean, it is, okay? It's, it's a sign of his common grace on this world, that burrito. Um, but you know what? It never, quite get the, it never quite gets the job ultimately done. Why? Because what I'm really longing for isn't a burrito. What I'm really longing for, what I really want deep down, what I was made for deep down wasn't just to eat. Kingdom citizens, Christians, we hunger for God because he's the only one who can satisfy us. That's why Jesus teaches us, as Pat reminded us, that he is the bread of life, that he is the source of, of living water that satisfies us. And in fact, we weren't made to just long for that. We were made to actually experience that fulfillment. That's why in the prophets and in the gospels, over and over again, we get this picture of our ultimate destination, our eternal state with the Lord, and it's pictured as not a fast, but a feast. Why? Why? Because in Christ, we will experience that fulfillment forever. And so by the Spirit's inspiration, the prophets grabbed on to that imagery and they said, listen, you want to know what you were made for? You were made for eternal feasting. Now we're talking, right? Well, how does that happen? It happens by faith in Jesus. And short of that celebration, short of that eternal feast, even today we can experience some measure of that fulfillment. Now, part of learning, right, spiritually and growing means we recognize that what we're looking for isn't able to be satisfied by those physical desires. So fasting helps us in that regard. In this case, I think it also reminds us, this whole passage just reminds us that at the heart of the gospel is not a to-do list, do X, Y, and Z so that God will forgive you, but it's just Jesus. It's just Jesus saying, listen, ultimately you're satisfied by me. Kingdom citizens hunger for God. If you're here with us this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you that, yes, the message of the gospel is that if you repent of your sins, you trust in Jesus, you can be forgiven of your sins. But that's not all. When you, when you are forgiven of your sins, you're also welcomed into new life with Christ. And that life is the first day of being satisfied for eternity. And yes, it's a struggle. And you'll still be, you'll still be tempted to, to fulfill that satisfaction in, in sinful ways. But man, there is no other place that we will find satisfaction. We can't find it outside of Christ. You know, as we think about that struggle, you need to personalize it this morning. And ask this question. Number one, where am I seeking satisfaction outside of Christ? Where am I going to, right, to be satisfied instead of with Jesus? You could ask it secondly another way. You could ask, where am I just following the culture? Where am I just going along with the trends, especially the trend of excess and me first living? Which is, again, that's kind of the, the mode that our culture is in at the moment. So you might ask, where are there ways that I'm just giving in to that thinking? And then ask, so how can I push back against that, that theology, that false theology? Maybe you're facing both ways or trying to face both ways on this. Where you're saying, yes, I'll be satisfied in Jesus, but in reality, you're seeking satisfaction in other areas. If that's you, because of Jesus, we have an opportunity to what? To repent. To just call it what it is. And so you can go to the Lord in prayer and you pray something like this. You just say, Lord, forgive me. I've been seeking satisfaction in food or in alcohol or in sex or in my job or whatever it is. Lord, forgive me for trying to, to be satisfied with 
that good gift that you've given me. And Lord, help me learn to hunger for you. To, to know that only in you will I truly be satisfied. Lord, help me to look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Isn't that beautiful? Revelation 19, that picture. When we are united with Jesus, it's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. And there we will enjoy that satisfaction. In the meantime, we need to look for it. That's why he talks here about your father who sees in secret rewarding you. Right? We need to recognize that our, our actual fulfillment, what we really want, that day is coming. And that matters more than other people thinking that I'm spiritual or other people viewing me as religious or righteous. Now, fasting for show only will yield earthly rewards, but kingdom citizens hunger for God. And my friend C.S. Lewis was right on to this in a classic quote. You may be familiar with it. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, C.S. Lewis was on to it here. That he's, you know, this hunger, thirst, you know, physical longings, entertainment, all this other stuff. He's like, it doesn't satisfy. I've got an itch. I can't scratch with that. And he said, you know what? The idea is if, if I have that desire in me, which every person does, the most probable explanation is that that itch was made to be scratched in another world, another way. Of course, he's talking there about our eternal home with Christ. And as he acknowledges that, I think we all have an opportunity to do the same, to maybe just recognize there are ways that I may be trying to satisfy that longing, ways that are sinful, ways that I've taken a good gift and I've turned it into a false god. And we have in this passage a reminder, listen, fasting isn't a problem. It's a good thing. But when you do it, what are you doing? You're actually setting something aside to develop that satisfaction in the Lord. I would encourage you to fast. I would also encourage you not to tell me. <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? We got we to circle back to the main idea. And so listen, fasting is good. We want to we do that. But let's not talk about it, all right? And there may be, a, may be a situation when we as a church are making a big decision. We may say, okay, we want everybody to fast and pray for this decision. And that, that's certainly nothing, nothing wrong with that. We follow that biblical example. But on a personal level, in our personal lives, as we pursue the Lord, that's not for show. Right? Kingdom citizens hunger for God. And what we want to ask the Lord today is to develop that hunger in us and to help us to be satisfied in him even now. So would you please pray with me? And we'll ask God to help us grow in this area. Lord, once again, we come before you very aware of our need. Lord, as we consider Matthew 6, verses 16 to 18, we recognize fasting is one area where we may be pursuing religious activities for the sake of appearance. We may be trying to face both ways at the same time. And Lord, we ask that you would convict us of the sin of hypocrisy. Lord, we know that in extreme cases, hypocrisy may be evidence of unbelief, that we're not followers of you. But even as believers, Lord, we may struggle with moments of hypocrisy. And so we ask that you would help us to be genuine as we live out our faith. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be mindful of our motivations, that we would take the time to consider why we would do what we do and to honor you in that. Lord, we confess that you are the one who is in secret. You are enthroned above all. You're 
invisible and omnipresent and omniscient, you know all. And so, Lord, we, we cast ourselves at your throne of grace this morning, asking for forgiveness for our failures, and especially our failure to be satisfied in you. We thank you for this instruction positively to fast in secret with an eternal perspective. And so, Lord, we pray that we would be the kind of people who pursue you because we recognize that you are our only source of ultimate satisfaction. Lord, we do thank you for our good gifts, the gifts that you've given to us to enjoy. We pray that we would not deify them and make them into false gods, but rather we would recognize them in their right place as coming from you. And Lord, if we choose to fast, we pray that you would help us to fast for the right reasons, cultivating greater love for you, greater dependence on you, or a greater hunger for you. We thank you for the gift that fasting can be. We also pray that you would help us to heed these warnings in your word about not turning Christianity into a works-based salvation religion. Lord, we thank you that at the end of the day, we are made kingdom citizens by faith in you, and that's just by grace, and we thank you for your grace. And we ask that you would help us to grow even now as we've considered this important issue of hungering and thirsting after you. We thank you that you satisfy, and we look forward to that eternal feast where we will be satisfied forever. In the meantime, Lord, help us to pursue you even now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.